Behold the voice of God. For those of you who don't know me officially, my name is Amanda Waller. And I am Aaron Mosh, your host of Task Force X. What, we some kind of suicide squad? Well, yeah, that and... Checkmate. Task Force X is a podcast that tells the stories of John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kupperberg's Checkmate from the late 80s, early 90s. I want to build a team of some bad people who can do some good. And that's what Suicide Squad is. While Checkmate is a team of good people doing some good. My mission here is to chronicle each and every title in all the books that Suicide Squad and Checkmate appeared in during that era. We're the U.S. government. You're going to start a blog and expose us? Well, a blog and a headcast, Amanda. Those scumbags are trying to screw me. Not at all, Amanda. Just trying to help everyone else discover the joy of the Suicide Squad and Checkmate. Anywho, hope you guys have as much fun with these comics as I did when I first read them. Oh, so many years ago. Mother... That's enough of that, Amanda. Let's go ahead and start the show. I didn't believe the stories. Nobody does. Remember, I'm watching. I see everything. Welcome to Task Force X, episode 54. Uh, this month, we're going to look at checkmate number 26, Suicide Squad number 38. I'm calling this episode Harry Stein in Action. As usual, first up, we're going to look at checkmate number 26. The cover date was March of 1990. The on-sale date was January the 30th of 1990. The cover price was $1.50, as usual. At least for these last couple of issues. Uh, the night title of this was called Night Job. Written, as usual, by the wonderful Paul Kupperberg. Penciler was Bill Joska. Inker, Michael Blightbear. Letter John Costanza, and colorist, as always, Juliana Fredder. The cover was done by Steve Irwin and Dick Giordano, and this was edited by Jonathan Peterson. Uh, the synopsis for this, which comes from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, uh, following the capture of Jacques Renard, Checkmate has been able to get information from him concerning his associates. Those associates learn of Renard's capture. Agents working for them kidnap Harry Stein's children. They then attempt to blackmail Stein into releasing Renard to them. Harry has Gary Washington follow one of the agents, but he is spotted and gunned down. And now, we'll look at the book itself. Like I normally do, we will look at the cover. So this month's cover of Checkmate number 26. It's got a bat black ground. Yeah, bat black background. Say that five times fast. Uh, Checkmate logo at the top. And front and center has a picture of Harry Stein... Smoking a cigar, holding a gun up like he's ready to... There's smoke... And I like the way this is drawn. There's smoke from the cigarettes. The lit cigarette coming up. And it's going behind the gun. And it looks like it's coming out of the barrel of the gun also. So he's smoking. And it looks almost like he's got a gun he's fired. It says on here, in white letters, with the black background, somebody has kidnapped his children. Now he's going to get them back. His way. Uh, to me, it's got a very much of a Death Wish vibe going for it. Maybe just me, but yeah, it kind of reminds me of Death Wish. Uh, the way Harry's just sitting there, he's got, he's got that angry look on his face, holding his gun up, and, you know, it's saying you're straight in your face, you know, somebody's kidnapped his children. Now he's going to get them back his way. Uh, and like I said, this issue, as I talked about in the synopsis, is mainly about Harry's children being kidnapped and him trying to get them back. And I know we, we've talked about Harry over the last few months, year, wherever it's been, how he's going through his divorce with his wife, and she's using the fact that he's a 
not only a checkmate agent, but he's in charge of checkmate the entire organization. And so he doesn't have a lot of time to spend with his children as much as he'd like. And she was using that against him in the divorce proceedings. And so he was fighting his wife, uh, ex-wife, for custody of the kids, or at least get to see the kids part of the time. Because he is a man who loves his kids, but he also loves his country. He loves doing his job. He loves doing what he needs to do. So this issue, why this this next issue or two doesn't finish that, I'm sure. Because, again, I haven't read these in 30, 40 years. But I'm sure this is uh, going to give us some more progress in that story. So let's look at the actual story itself. Well, on the first page, we get Harvey and uh, what's Kayla Cam- Kayla Campbell talking about how they've they've captured Renard, but he's not answering any questions. Like if we see Renard in black and white on the screen behind him, and he's also on the left side, we got like a, a splash page almost of Renard sitting in his prison cell smoking a cigarette, and then on the right side we have uh, a panel on top, and then four more panels along the right hand side showing Harvey and Kayla talking about how to get information out of them. And it's also kind of recapping the last several months of Checkmate. It's like just in, in a couple of sentences. We got Harvey going, okay, so now we got him. What are we supposed to do with them? It's an elegant situation, Harvey. And unfortunately, we're rather limited in our options. Now we've established that Renard, Jacques Renard, one of our own knights, was a freelance assassin called the Bishop. We have to let due process of the law take its own course. And Harvey's all, I think we should string him up as he crushes his cup. <laughs> and again, they've been questioned about his motives, the source of his battle armor, and he won't tell him anything. And uh, again, the, the higher ups, Sarge Steele, the guy in charge of Checkmate and Suicide Squad at this point, they want it played by the book. Because, again, they think this is going to be a much larger conspiracy, and so they need things done right. So when they go to move forward in the future, all their T's are crossed and I's are dotted. And so they don't want, like Kayla says here, the bottom line is it still doesn't want to jeopardize the chance of Renard turning state's evidence against his employers. And Harvey, again, very much, again, he's talked about Harvey Bullock used to be in Batman comics. He's, he was a, a detective in Gotham City. Harry Stein picked him to be uh, his number one guy, I guess, number two guy in Checkmate. And so Harvey has always kind of played fast and loose with the roles. I mean, he started out as kind of a jerk. In fact, I haven't read those appearances, but from what I've read on Wikipedia, he used to be either borderline or, or actually a bad cop. And working with Gordon's kind of brought him around, much like they did on the Gotham TV show. So, I mean, because that's why I looked it up. Because I'm like, well, we've seen Her- uh, Harvey is, is maybe a slob and a bad detective as far as not wanting to do the job. But, yeah, in Gotham, make it look like he was almost crooked. As I looked it up on Wikipedia, and yeah, that's actually true. When he started in the Batman comics, he was kind of a bad, crooked cop. And Gordon kind of brought him around to the side of the angels, as, you were, as it were. But I was saying all that to get to Harvey. He's sitting there and as, as Kayla tells him that, you know, they don't want jeopardized Renard turning state's evidence. He's like, I hate this job. <laughs> and then we got to a plane of some gentlemen we don't know yet. Well, actually, I guess one we do. 
Uh, one of them is, let me see here real quick. I'm just looking at the notes on this. Um, I'm not sure their name offhand. One guy is named Pierce, this black guy that's like uh, an assistant or whatever to the other guy. And the, this older white guy reading some papers, got glasses on the bridge of his nose. Uh, Pierce tells them that they've got information on the situation. He was taken by peace. Uh, he was taken by both peacemaker and checkmate. It's currently in custody, as we talked about the last issue or two. And apparently the Justice Department has become interested in the case. And again, the main bad guy here, he's like, well, Renard is important to my organization. His importance does not supersede the organization itself. Have him removed from checkmate's grasp. Or see to it that he is no longer in any position to betray me. So again, he wants Renard back if at all possible. But if it comes down to it, as he says right here, he'd rather have Renard dead than in a position to to betray what he's doing. Again, as I keep, I say this almost every month, uh, and I'm not just saying that because I know him on Facebook, but I think Paul Kupperberg does a fantastic job on this title. I love the dialogue. I love the way it's written. Uh, the art on this, for the most part, is fantastic. I think his next issue, it's a little darker than I like, but again, like I said, I, I normally prefer the, the four-color superhero comics. Suicide Squad is a darker, grittier comic, and the way that John... Oshinger writes that it's it's uh, appreciated, I guess it's 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 it fits there, and this one here it varies from being lighter to darker. Uh, this issue is done, I think, very nicely. I think the colors and the the contrast to the the darkness and the heaviness of the ink works beautifully in this. And then we go to the night next page where we get the uh, the splash page of the title. It says Night Job, a night with a K, and we get one of the checkmate knights. Uh, fighting on this boat. He's got one guy knocked down, another guy's thrown over the side, and one's running at him with a, a, a baton or something, looks like, maybe a tire iron. I can't quite tell. It's a little too dark right there. Another guy above him coming down at him, and one guy running out with a shotgun, it looks like, and this knight's just knocking him all around, just beating on him. And again, he's talking about how, you know, this is where it happens. You work for days, weeks, chasing leads, being the odds. But you never really know what it's going to mean until you've assembled the final pieces. And again, this is, as I said, almost every time, this, the, the, the Checkmate Knight uniform, I love. I think that, again, we never, I don't think I've ever decided who fully came up with this between uh, Steve Irwin and, uh, let me see, Paul Kupperberg and John Byrne. Uh, but whoever did, the, the final, yeah, maybe it was all three of them gelled. Everything finally came together. But this costume is is one of my favorite uh, uniforms, in quotes, for an organization. I just love the way the yellow and the blue or black plays together. It's just a great, and it, looks, it looks kind of like a chess piece because that's what they're supposed to be. But again, this this couple pages here is just the, the knight fighting against, again, I'm not sure who this one is offhand, and that's the way the night costume is designed, so you don't know who is behind the costume. But we finally see a couple pages in, so he's battling all these guys, and as he's taking them out, finally the, the cavalry, as he says, shows up, and Harry shows up with the Coast Guard. And now we get a close look up at the, guard, at the knight's face, 
we can see it's a black guy in there, so we know that it's uh, what's his name, Washington. That's this one. So, and again, I like Harry is very much a hands-on boss. As we've talked about, that's been part of his problem during his his divorce proceedings is the fact that you know he is so hands-on. He is kind of an absent father at times, which which doesn't play well when he's in front of you know going to the court. His wife's like, well, you know, he's never around, so I think I should have full custody of the kids. So it's just, and while it doesn't make him a great dad, it makes him a great checkmate uh, boss, I guess. And again, he says he's been around us so long because uh, he, he's complimenting Washington how well he's doing on on kicking butt. And I like this Washington. He's like uh, Harry's all, how's it going, partner? Need a helping hand? The checkmate night's all Harry. If I knew you were coming, I might just saved you a few butts to kick. Says, nah. Been riding death so long, I probably wind up getting mine kicked instead. <laughs> and this is where Harry comes and talks to him about uh, the issues with his, his wife, his kids. In fact, yeah, this is before the kids got kidnapped. So he's he's kind of him and uh, Washington are kind of friends. So he's kind of expressing his his issues he's got with a buddy of his, basically. And then the next page and a half, we get Bullock and. Uh, Blackthorn talking. Basically, Blackthorn's telling, sorry, try that again. Bullock's telling Blackthorn that they need to pay her through security checks because, again, a checkmate's a government organization. So, of course, you've got to do your security clearances and make sure that the people you have working for you is, is? The people that are working for you are okay and there's nothing bad about them, I guess. And again, Blackthorn, she's working out, she's talking to him, and as Shag would say, Blackthorn is hot. Uh, she's got her little, again, this is a very late 80s, early 90s comic. Uh, but as she's talking, she's, you know, doing flips and handstands on the, the uh, I don't know what they're called, the ropes with the bars that she hold on to, the hoops, whatever she hang on to, not bars, hoops. And she's like, you know, you take your rules and get stuffed. My background's my background, and if that means I can't join up with you guys, well, then tell with it. <laughs> and again, I mean, I understand. I mean, Her Harvey is doing his job. You can't have a rogue agent, in, in quotes, running around not knowing their background. But I, I kind of see where Blackthorn's coming from, because, again, Harvey's came to her for it, have her join up. Harvey's been trying to get her, you know, been bugging her to do it. And they kind of need her, but there is security you got to worry about. And we know, because again, with hindsight and knowing this is a comic book character, knowing who she is, we know that she's okay, but the people in the comic don't. And again, while we know that she's okay at this point, there may be things in her past that is questionable and may cause problems for her if they were to do a background check. So I, I, I kind of see why she is a little hesitant to, to go through a background check. And then we cut to Harry and the night, uh, Washington having a beer. Okay. Looks like they've got, a, they've each got a pitcher of beer plus the glass I'm drinking out of. So each of them have a pitcher in front of them that's half full and each have half a glass. I'm assuming of beer. It's like an orange color. And maybe I'm just assuming it's beer, but they're at O'Reilly's Bar and Grill. And those looking off like beer, uh, beer uh, 
uh, pitchers. I, I don't know. They've got quite a bit of beer there. <laughs> and again, as they're kind of reminiscing about the old days, we get Harry talking about how he ended up leaving the force. And again, like he's like, 18 years as a cop in this cesspool was sure enough for me. And his buddy's like, as I remember, you didn't exactly leave voluntarily. I don't know, maybe in a way I did. I mean, I had to know when I kept pushing on the Adrian Case, Adrian Case, Adrian Chase affair that would cost me. And then we had a reference here saying, see the final issues of Vigilante. Again, as I've talked about, that was a great series. Uh, I'm going to mention it again. Marv Wolfman started it. It was a spinoff of the Titan, Teen Titans. He wrote the first 30 issues or so. And then friend of the show, Paul Kupperberg, took over and started writing it and finished it off with issue 50, which I've talked about previously. I don't know. I just I love the Vigilante series. In fact, I've talked about it a couple issues here and there previously. I may have talked about that at some point in the future. I got a lot of shows, a lot of books I want to talk about. Jeez. Anyways. So, yeah. So, we, we get to see Harry and uh, Washington. I forget his first name offhand. Reminiscing. And Harry's talking about his past, how he'd been, his wife got divorced. Natalie got the kids, the house, the money. Uh, Harry got the alimony, child support, and visitation rights. As we've been dealing with the last, especially a few issues, but on and off this entire run, uh, Harry having problems with the ex-wife and trying to get ac- uh, access, custody of the kids. And again, I, I like this. It's just a couple of pages of Harry and Washington, just two old buddies sitting around, having some beers, chewing the fat. Uh, and again, it's kind of catching us up. If you've just jumped into this issue... We get Harry, you know, catching us up that, you know, he's waiting on a judge to say if he can have, uh, see his own kids. And Harry says, tells him there's a storm brewing. It's moving fast. I can't help feeling there's bad times ahead. And uh, Gary's his name, Gary Washington. Gary's like, I pray you're wrong, old friend. And again, just great artwork in this, this little, great dialogue in this little, this little couple pages here. Just, you know, these two old friends catching up. Just really nice. And again, it kind of catches us up as a reader. If you're behind times, if you just joined this end of the book, you kind of know what's going on. And then we get this computer geek guy who's trying to access Checkmate's files. And he makes a comment here how he's got to do it quickly because Checkmate will catch on to him quickly. And they pull up where they're at. The head officer, Harry Stein, codenamed King, and pulls up his information. He's 43. 5'11", 173 pounds, blah, blah, blah. His distinguishing marks. And it talks about his marital status. He's divorced. He's got two children. Matthew, age 12. Barry, age 9. And this guy's like, bingo, as he pulls off his glasses. Again, just neat little... Again, this is back in the early 90s. Uh, I think the way they do in the computer scenes here is reasonably accurate for what they could do for uh, the 90s. And then we cut to the next page where we have some moving men coming up to the Stein's house and they gas Harry's ex-wife and we see the gas lingering and she's laying on the floor. We cut to the kids' room where he said the beds are empty. (laughs) Above the kids' bed, we see a, a football, a poster of a football guy 
a pennant for Riverdale, and a Batman poster, a Batman symbol poster. Uh, again, I know the bad offices, especially when Denny O'Neill was running it, he wanted Batman to be a, a urban legend, no one believed in him. But it's kind of hard when kids, 12 and 9-year-old kids, have a poster of the bad emblem in their bedroom. <laughs> it just kind of makes it ridiculous, the whole urban legend of Batman, because, again, there's been issues where he's talked in front of people. I mean, in The Death of Superman, he appeared on a monitor talking to the population of Earth, how, you know, we need to pull together as a time of mourning, we need to be on the lookout, blah, blah, blah. So the whole urban legend thing was kind of a, a retcon that doesn't really work as you're reading these books. But this isn't a Batman podcast. Uh, later that day, at the Midtown Hotel of Harry Stein, we have Harry's wife, Natalie, who's not a bad-looking woman. Women? Woman. Come rushing in, saying that, you know, someone's kidnapped Matt and Barry. And then the person calls Harry up, and it's like, how would I know? Hold a minute. Wait, hello? Tell is this? And we're sort of there and going, good afternoon, Mr. Stein. I believe I have something of yours. Like what? Like what? Who is this? Your charming ex-wife is with you. I'm sure she's told you by now. And here at the bottom of the page, uh, again, no page numbers. I'm going to say page 13 or so. This look on Harry's face is the guy's like, your charming ex-wife is with you? I'm sure she's told you by now. I think I'm kind of taking on an aristotic British accent because that's kind of imagine how it is. But the look on Harry's face is just, you can see it's like a close-up of his face. His eyes are enraged. His teeth are... Arr. You can tell he he's about ready to lose it. You bastard. She told me. And Natalie's trying to get it. Is that him? The children all right? And the voice is like, Really, Mr. Stein, control yourself. We don't want your children. Checkmate has what we're looking for. Be up here 46, 830 tonight. Click. And so Harry tells him, you know, tells his wife, you know, they don't want them. They want me. Something here at work. And his wife again... As she's been ranting for quite a while, she doesn't like Harry's job. She feels that it, it's it's taking too much out of him, taking him away from his family. And while that is true, I mean, again, he is a working dad. As we've talked about before, having been a working dad, luckily for me, my ex-wife was out of the picture at this point. I got divorced, so I didn't have to worry about her, but... I, I feel where Harry's coming from. So. I understand where she's coming from. I mean, she's worried about her kids. And due to Harry's job, her kids are in danger now. So I, I don't, I can't really blame her. But. Again, being at one time as a single father, I, I really feel for Harry and, and what he's going through. And so Gary, uh, Gary. so uh, Harry meets up at the Pier 46, where there's a yacht or a boat of some sort, and some thug, some guy in a blue coat and a tr uh, trench coat and a hat comes up. He's he's all, Mister Sign, I presume. Yeah, who are you? A concerned party in all this. I'm glad you could make it. I won't keep you long. And he basically tells them that you know. You're no threat, no position to make demands. I suggest you return Jacques Renard, 
who we've talked about in the last few issues, was the renegade checkmate agent that was also Bishop. And he's working for someone, apparently. And these are the people that, that employed him, I guess. And they're trying to get him back. And <laughs> Harry Lewis, he just jumps on the guy. He's like, Renard, he's involved in all this, too? Why, you lousy scum. And the middleman's like, temper, temper, Mr. Stein. We don't want to make a scene. After all, why do you think I picked a well-lidded and patrolled place? And so we see uh, one of the nights, I'm assuming it's Gary Washington watching them. Again, these night uniforms, you can't tell who's who. But he, he's got a, there's a bug on Harry, I'm assuming. And we hear him talking. This is my protection from you, Trey Hang Tricky. You try and take me in, I'll scream checkmate to the press. And he's, Harry's like, how do you want to make this exchange? I mean, I can't just take Renard out on a date uh, for a drive. And he's like, I'll leave that for you to figure out the details. We'll contact you in 24 hours. We'll our instructions to your wife. Sorry, as I said earlier, you are in no position to make demands. Have a nice night, Harry. And so the knight takes off to see what he can do about helping out in the situation. Meanwhile, we go back to the Peacemaker, who, I don't know if I've talked about this recently, is apparently getting his own series on HBO Max and is in the upcoming Suicide Squad movie. Yay, Peacemaker. Anyways, Christopher Smith, he's waking up, and his doctor, uh, Bridget Dabo, was running some tests on him. And apparently he was out for 43 hours, and apparently he has a lot of bad dreams. Again, just a little more personal life of Peacemaker. Uh, again, these few pages here, not a lot driving the story forward so much. It's just, you know, it's kind of an intermission, if you will. He's got to check some things out. But it gives us a little bit of, of personal life of Christopher Smith. And we show that his, his doctor actually cares for him. And that she's worried about his mental health with all his inner demons. And then we get Harry returning back to Checkmate Base. And again, they can tell that, you know, he's got a lot going on. Apparently he didn't say what it was. He just said he needed to see Jacques Renard. And as he gets out, he doesn't give him a high. He just storms right through. And as the artwork tells us, plus Bullock announces, like, holy smokes, did you see his face? He looked like he was ready to kill someone. So they're trying to chase after him, trying to find what's going on. And uh, Harry shows, he, was Renard still in there? Uh, yeah, we weren't planning on moving. Then open this tin can up and leave. I want to talk to him alone. So he goes in and he just decks Renard, just knocks him and beats the crap out of him. He's like, this is just a taste, you bastard. What's going to be your sorry butt if you don't talk to me now? Get it? Where are my kids? He's like, I'm telling you nothing. And Harry's this close-up of Harry. He's like, let me tell you something, you treacherous slime. You people grabbed my kids to trade for you. Your people grabbed my kids to trade for you, but only prevent you from talking to us. In fact, I'll bet they'll set up for you either alive or dead. You better believe that dead's the way I intend to hand you over. And we have uh, Washington, uh, Gary, in Wa try try it again. In New York, we have Gary Washington continuing his surveillance. And as he's watching uh, the guy that Harry spoke with earlier leave his hotel, Gary dresses up as a bum and starts following the guy. 
meanwhile, while he's following this guy, we cut to Harry taking off with Jannard in a plane. And he apparently didn't get clearance to. He's all, the, the guys on monitor do are like, hey, wait a minute, I didn't get any clearance to take off. Quit closing our doors. Someone's still in one of our planes. Alert, alert, intruder escaping. And now they wait all the flight plans. So we cut in. We see that it's Harry, of course, with Jacques Renard. And then we cut over to the the agent, if you will, for lack of a better name, on the phone. He's being followed by a black male carrying a grocery bag, dressed pretty shabbily. And all of a sudden, some gunmen pull up and just gun Gary down and take off, leaving him for dead. Gary's leaving on the ground. The next issue box says, next issue, death. Again, I haven't read this in 30-whatever years. I don't remember if Gary dies or not here. We'll find out maybe next month. But again, that's all we get here. We get, I say, this last page is uh, Gary Washington, the checkmate knight. In bum clothes, basically laying here, dying, while Harry's flying off with Renard. Again, as I've talked about, this is a great series. I, I love the art in here. It's, it's very, in quotes, realistic art, but I, I love it. It's fantastic. But that's going to do it for Checkmate. Uh, let's go ahead and move over to the Suicide Squad book. After these important messages. We'll be back after this break. Don't touch that dial for goodness sake. Teddy Roosevelt, Spartacus, Julius Caesar, Babe Ruth, and Albert Einstein. What do these men all have in common? I got it. Great shoes. You know, like sandals or... Albert Einstein had great hair, but I know they were all great with the ladies. <laughs> no, well, maybe. Hmm. But no, the correct answer is that Phineas and Jeffrey met them all, plus many more. But what if the listeners don't know who Jeffrey and Phineas are? Phineas and Jeffrey? They're voyagers. You know, they travel, time travelers, travel through time, correcting history. You know, giving a little nudge where needed. You mean how Jeffrey corrects the mistakes and Phineas takes all the credit and, don't forget, all the ladies? Uh, yeah, something like that. Join Michelle and me, Aaron, monthly as we follow these two adventurers. Available on most podcatchers as Voyager's Cast and also on the Head Cast Network. Born out of violence, adopted in chaos, teenager Cassandra Kane is seeking the answer to a question. If nurture can undo nature, raised to be an assassin, Cassandra is trying to burn the pages of her past and write a whole new future. So
write to us at thehuntresspodcast.com or go to Twitter at Huntress Podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and your other podcatchers. This podcast shares a feed with the Huntress Podcast, the Bad Girl Cassandra Kane Podcast. Cheers. Hello, Paul. Hello. I am Dr. Herfi Stafner. Come in, come in, please. Take a seat. Take a seat. What can I do for you today? I uh, just, I just, I'm, I can't sleep. I, I, I can't focus on anything. The only thing I can think about is like DC events. DC events, as in the comic books. DC events. Yes, yes, the comic book events. Oh, interesting. Uh, are we we talking things like Crisis on Infinite Earths? Yeah, yeah, totally. That one, yeah. Uh, Infinite Crisis? Yeah, yeah, that one too. Oh, very, very. Invasion, maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, uh, the Genesis? Uh, not so much. No? Oh, okay, well, I think it's really good if you talk about the things that are troubling you in your life. So maybe you should do a podcast about this obsession. What, what do you call this obsession? What do you think it is? I think you're a unique case. I've not seen anything like this before in my office. I'm going to suggest that you have what we call DCOCD. What? DCOCD? You are obsessive and compulsive about your DC events. I think you should talk it out, get it out of your system via a podcast. I will help you, my friend. We shall do a podcast together about your DCOCD. Oh, okay. When I won't even start? charge you for it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I don't think I can claim you on <laughs> benefits. <clears throat> yeah, it's good. <laughs> when shall we start? Um, I'll get back to you on that. I'll check my I'll check my timetable. <laughs> cool. from head to toe now we go back to the show and welcome back from the break now let's go ahead and dive into the suicide squad this is suicide squad number 38 the cover date was february of 1990 the on sale date was january the 9th of 1990 the cover price was one dollar the title of this was called caging the tiger plotted by john ossender scripted by robert greenberger penciled Luke McDonald, inker, Jeff Isherwood, letterer, Todd Klein, colorist, Carl Gafford, editor, Dan Raspler. And this was reprinted in Suicide Squad, Apocalypse Now, trade paperback. And the cover was done by some guy, pencil was uh, Kevin McGuire, and inker was Jeff Isherwood. Uh, in case you don't know, Kevin McGuire is big over on the uh, Justice League International book at this time. He's still there, which my buddy Shag covers over on his JLI Wahahaha podcast. So check that out. But anyways, I'm here to talk about Shag or the Justice League. I'm here to talk about the Suicide Squad, uh, the synopsis. And again, the information I just read and the synopsis was all taken from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. That's a great site. The quick synopsis, Ben Turner is called before Shard Steel to answer for his actions and taking the team to Apocalypse. Turner's history 
is brought up, including his propensity towards violence and his time with the League of Assassins. Turner claims that he is under control and has put his past behind him. Still taunts on using a replica of Turner's old tiger mask. Ben eventually snaps under the pressure and storms out. Stills decides it is time to shut down the Suicide Squad. Elsewhere, Julie learns that she is pregnant, and the Dumbalia continues his efforts to use drugs to recruit a zombie army. So I guess this is going to be the final episode. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's go ahead and look at the actual issue itself. So, as usual, we'll start the cover. We've got our Suicide Squad logo. we got our, our uh, whatever other title here. Tiger, Tiger, Burning, Burning Bright. We got Ben sitting under the lights. He's in his uh, Bronze Tiger outfit. We get Sarge still standing behind him. His, his hand, his still hand in a fist. Got a couple other Yahoo standing behind Ben. Ben's got like the spotlight on him. The hot seat. Ben's sweating a little bit because, again, the position he's in. Again, he's taking the, the fall. Well, I guess rightly so for taking the team to Apocalypse, even though he was told not to. Uh, again, this is a great cover. I really enjoy this one. Uh, you can see the look of, I guess, fear on Ben's face. Like I said, this is penciled by McGuire, who, who's most famously known for uh, the Just League International and also Isherwood, which has been on this book. So, again, yeah, they did a great Great job on this cover. I really love this cover. We get the lights swinging. Yeah, just a nice cover. And then we get the first page. Again, it's not really part of the story, but it just says Cajun the Tiger. And we get kind of Ben's background. We see Ben in the middle of the page or slightly off to the left a little bit, screaming like in, in pain or in, I don't know what it is. He, you can tell that he's not in a good place right now. On the left-hand side, we see Presumably a young Ben Turner walking up a hill to a uh, monastery or something. Uh, we get, I believe that's Amanda Waller below him. Below that, we got looks like a ninja. In the middle of the page, underneath him, we get Vixen, who is his love at this point. And on the right-hand side, we get his, his bronze tiger mask, which looks like a tiger. Uh, we see somebody smoking a cigar. I'm not quite sure who that is offhand. Below Looks almost like Ben, actually, but the coloring looks a little off, but I'm not quite sure on that one. I'm assuming it's Ben. Uh, below him, we get Sarge Dill smoking a cigarette, and below that, we see a Bronze Tiger in his full Tiger gear outfit and everything, uh, squaring off against the ninja that was on the left-hand side of the page. Again, overall, it's a great panel to start with. Nothing story-wise, per se, but it gives us a little bit of, especially if you're familiar with Bronze Tiger, it gives you a little bit of background on who he is and where he came from. And we start out the story in the Louisiana Ordnance Association, or the LOA, LOA, which is what Amanda used to try to get Boomer Butt back in line a while back. It's actually an organization that, as we've talked about, and they're talking about now, uh, is actually now they're they're on to... Amanda Waller, and they're kind of, okay, and that's, this is who the guy on the cover was. I wasn't quite sure at first, I thought maybe it's Ben. It's the leader of the Loa. That's who it is. And again, yeah, they're getting an update that 
basically film it since you just jumped in that Amanda Waller has everyone thinks that she stepped down, but she actually is still running the Suicide Squad. And again, the, the main guy, the Loa here, uh, he's basically saying that, you know, that the Suicide Squad is tied to the United States government. But if we make one telephone call, there'll be a scandal again. Hey, again, this is just a subplot that's going on regarding the Loa. And again, we'll get back to that later on in the story, in the uh, coming upcoming issues. And then we get then we get a little a snapshot looks like of the White House, rain coming down, separating the Loa story from Bronze Tiger story. We get Bronze Tiger and Vixen sitting there in their civilian identities, if you will, wearing ordinary clothes. Uh, Vixen wants to go along with them because Sarge still wants his head. And basically Ben's like, he just wants to yell at me. I'm going to let him do it. I got the team back from Apocalypse. Now we've got to the Loa. So for still, and he'll yell, he'll yell at it and we'll go do what we need to do. And so then we cut over. Speaking of Sarge still, we get Sarge still talking with a, a group of other men, uh, Griswold, King Faraday, and some other people, and basically just kind of, uh, again, they're asking, one of the guys is asking Steele, uh, the guy named Griswold, is asking Steele, you know, Ben to return back from Apocalypse. He brought the majority of the squad back. And those two, you know, those have been lost to us, you know, so why bother going after the guy over this when he actually did a good thing and, you know, he basically, in quotes, succeeded. And basically, you know, basically, we kind of cover Ben's career at this point, his life, and as I talk about in the synopsis, and basically, it's not necessarily just because Ben defied orders, but it is. It's mainly for the principle of the matter. Ben's been, like I talked about in the synopsis, and this is what covers over the next couple of pages. And again, like I've said, this entire series, for the most part, the art, it's a darker a little more heavily inked, uh, more of a darker comic than I like, like I've talked about many times before. I like my superhero comics, you know, four color, bright, blue, you know, bright colors. But Suicide Squad is the the underside of the superhero game, I guess. Like I've talked about, and that's what Suicide Squad is. It's it's a group of bad people doing good things like I've talked about in the opening. So the darker artwork, as I say, almost every month, I'm sure, the darker artwork really works on this book. I like the darker tones and the the more shades in it. So, again, so we send the next couple pages I talked about, basically covering Bronze Tiger's origins, his backstory. So, again, if uh, if you're not familiar with Ben Turner, this issue is kind of the Bronze Tiger Ben Turner issue that catches you up to who he is. Uh, a nice shot of him in his tiger mask uh, with Batman on the monitor. And again, this was when Batman was supposed to be an urban legend, if I'm not mistaken. This is a, I want to say this is Daniel O'Neill area, area, era of Batman, where he wanted Batman to be an urban legend. No one believed in him. But of course, the government has pictures of him. But we're not going to go into that because this isn't a Batman podcast. I'll leave that for Ryan Daly and Chris Franklin over on theirs or 
Michael Bailey and I, I believe it's uh, Andrew Leyland where they talk about Batman. Again, I'm here to talk about the Suicide Squad, so let's continue talking about them. So this image of Batman Bronze Tiger, they're talking about, if I'm not mistaken, it's a pre-crisis story where uh, the Bronze Tiger was trying to kill Kathy Kane, who was Batwoman at the time. And Batman arrived, they fought, and someone else ended up killing Kane. Since then, I mean, in the current, well, you know, at this point, Batwoman hadn't yet been recreated. So, yeah, so this was pre-crisis. They had Kathy Kane. And sometime after this, I think it was the 2000s, they, they brought Kathy Kane back, or Kate Kane, as Batwoman, who has a CW TV show, even though I guess she's no longer on it. That's, again, getting sidetracked there. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it says that, you know, the tiger fought Batman, and it seemed that he was good enough to defeat Batman. Then King Faraday goes on to tell how him and Bronze Tiger and Nightshade went to recruit, rescue, bring in, however you want to phrase it, Ben Turner. And I'm not quite sure when this happened. I'm thinking it may be back in the Charlton days because these were all Charlton characters. Mike Ben was a Charlton character also. And uh, they brought him in. And after they brought him in, this is about the time, according to King Faraday, that Amanda was setting up Task Force X, a.k.a. Suicide Squad. So she helped deprogram him. And we talked about that in the Just League International issue we had a crossover with here not too long ago, where she tried to help uh, deprogram Blue Beetle. When he was deemed fit, Amanda put him on the new Suicide Squad, as we've seen since the beginning of this title. And since then, he's racked up an impressive list of accomplishments. And then Sarge tells, like, spare me, Faraday. The squad has been a joke. They've watched as many missions they've accomplished. They've been an embarrassment. He's been a part of it. So again, so basically, these guys are going back and forth, deciding whether or not the, the Suicide Squad is something worth keeping, and whether or not Ben is an asset or a liability. But when they get done talking, Faraday leaves. I don't like this. As he's leaving the, the room here on page nine, he tells Ben, he's like, watch your tail, Turner. Because he, he knows which way the wind's blowing. He can tell already that Sarge still has it in for Turner, has it in for the Suicide Squad. And uh, he's afraid that's going to go south. And again, here on page nine where he's leaving, he tells him to watch out. We get a picture of uh, George Bush on the, I'm sorry, George Bush Sr. on the wall behind him just to kind of let you know where this takes place in, in history. Like I say, if you're reading this now in 2021, this kind of cements it in the early 90s because we got the President Bush there. And then we cut to, as I talked about in the synopsis, where Jules, Julie, from Hunt and Julie, uh, the doctor talking with uh, the doctor thinking that maybe they had the flu. And she finds out that she's actually uh, pregnant. And I like this, you're on the bottom of page 10. She's like, does three and a half months sound right? It better because that's how far along the baby is. And she's like, baby, you're a pregnant child. 
And just a close-up on Julie's face, she's like, oh. And again, as we know from reading this, Punch and Julie are a oddball couple, very comical, but very uh, mischief-making. And we'll get more to them as we go along in the story later on. And then I like this next page, page 11. We get Amanda Waller talking to Oracle on the computer. Uh, Oracle's asking where's Flo at. And Amanda's telling her we're going to have to make some changes. Flo died on a mission. This is a waste, Oracle. A damn stupid waste. You know, any good computer techs? And then Oracle's like, I understand. Oracle out. And here at the very bottom of page 11, we officially get confirmation that Oracle is Barbara Gordon, a.k.a. Batgirl. We pull back. We see Barb crying next to her monitor. We see the little Batgirl stuffed uh, doll we saw earlier in the series. She's in a wheelchair. And again, this it was all from the killing joke when the Joker shot Barbara in the gut. Uh, again, story has it that when they were talking about the killing joke, uh, one of the writers, someone said, kill the bitch. And that's when uh, they decided to have her shot and no longer be Batgirl. Well, she officially retired from Batgirl before that story. But but uh, Kim Yale and John Ostender apparently didn't like that idea of kind of wasting Barbara Gordon as a character. And they didn't like the idea of a woman being marginalized and being taken out of action like that. So they decided to, I want to say redeem, but that's not really the right word. Because Barbara herself doesn't need redeeming. Uh, but they kind of brought her back. And they made use of her in a different way instead of Batgirl. Because uh, uh, Batgirl's always been, I mean, in pre-crisis, she was a librarian. Uh, she's always been smart, been good at computers. So... Yeah, I think this is logically the next step for Barbara Gordon at this point. If you don't want the character to go to waste and be forgotten, you need to do something new and good with her. So that's this is where John and Kim kind of brought Batgirl, I'm sorry, not Batgirl, but Barbara back into the front of things. And from here, she'd go into Batman and be a big supporting character. And uh, fret not, squad mates. She'll continue to appear in this series. But yeah, here at the bottom, page 11, we got Barbara slipping in her, her wheelchair, holding her hands to her face, and you can just see the tears, the waterworks coming from her eyes. Because even though they never actually, I don't think they've actually ever met in person, Flo became a good friend of Barbara. And again, at this point, I think this is the only place Barbara's appearing is in a suicide squad, because I say John and Kim is the one that decided to uh, rehabilitate her. And, and bring her back as a character. So, and it just, this is very, this whole page, I mean, Amanda Waller is uh, hard as nails, uh, very much of a, a hard, I don't know, woman. And you can tell, you know, again, she, she lost Flo, who she cared about. And so you, you can kind of, I don't know, it's just pictures and writing. The, the text, but you kind of tell that uh, Waller is sad. It's, she's down in the dumps about this. And and Waller may be, like I say, the, this Waller that I love, she's very, you know, street smart, very sugar, but the streets of Chicago, she's lost 
like half her kids and her husband to violent crime. She comes across as a very uh, badass, uh, should I say, bitchy woman. But this kind of helped humanizes her and show that even though, you know, she comes across as mean as, you know, hell, she's actually got a heart underneath. And just like all of us, she can hurt. And then we like so we end this page with Barbara just sitting there, as I said, something in her wheelchair, tears, and the waterworks just flowing down her face. It's a very, very poignant, very sad page. But again, that's that's what you get from the Suicide Squad. <laughs> and then we go to the next page where we get Ben Turner facing off against uh, Sarge Dill, and he introduces other people as Colonel Stoneman uh, and Mr. Griswold. And they're all men that work for the presidents, and they want to ask us some questions. And basically, you know, Seal's like, why did you disobey my direct order? And Ben, again, being a, a, in quotes, a soldier and following orders is what he normally does. I like this. He's like, I just made no orders. I was told not to contact Mr. Miracle and told not to use felons. I didn't. Your orders never said anything about forever people or volunteering Volunteers found in asylums. And again, and I like the way that Ben is working around the letter of the law that Sarge still was kind of implying, but Sarge is upset because he understands, you know, that this is the spirit of the law I wanted to intend, but Ben's like, you know, you didn't say I, you know, I, I couldn't ask for volunteers from the asylum. You didn't say I could ask the, I couldn't ask the forever people. And that's what I did. And <laughs> Sarge still like, Words are very clear, Turner. Do not go to Apocalypse. How can I permit you to remain mission leader if you don't understand the most basic of instructions? And uh, he's all talking. He continue on. He's like, the title Suicide Squad was not picked out of a hat. They could have had 100% casualties and still not be considered heavy losses. Why put your career in jeopardy for high-risk types? And Ben's basically, he's like, sir, there's not only my friends, but also the core of our mission operations team. We needed them for Sarge Till's mission against the LOA. I knew I felt I had to, to save the squad and secure future missions. My choice was clear, sir. And we came back. And one of the other guys talking, like, actually, Mr. Herr, it seems that you came back, but there were some casualties in one MIA. The man's like, yes, Flo Crowley, Dr. Light, and field agent Briscoe bought it on the rock. They were all duped by Lashina. You know her as the Duchess. And Shade, he's probably back in his dimension. Again, that's Rick Shade. And uh, the guy's talking's like, that is not a very good record, Mr. Turner. Did you not need Dr. Light for the low emission? Yes, we have made all of our plans. I did what I thought was best. And, and again, Sarge just interrupts. He's like, and you ignored my orders. Don't you think that's a problem, Turner? And again, that's one of Sarge Still's biggest thing. He's just that, that Ben disobeyed his direct order, even though he went about it in a way that wasn't disobeying the actual order, which I really like about Ben. He's very intelligent that way. And Ben further defends his actions by saying, you know, you may snap to and do what you're told, but I have to answer to my, my conscience. I want to compromise that. And again, Sarge brings up stuff from his past. He's like, we well, have in the past. You've done this and this. And again, we get some highlights from stuff he's done in the past. Sarge is talking about when he was like 10 years old, he grabbed a knife and killed this man that was about ready to kill his mother and father. And again, I mean, it's kind of, 
<sighs> not really playing fair, I don't think, because again, that's not something Ben intended to do. It was he went out looking for someone to kill. This guy was in his house, going to kill his mom and dad. So Ben did what he needed to do. And again, he got martial arts training. And he still, you know, like I talked about in the synopsis, he still got into it. He still enjoyed the fighting. And he didn't mind killing for a while. But again, what they don't understand is that Ben's gone out of his way to change who he is. He he doesn't want to be a killer. He doesn't want to be in quotes, uh, the bronze tiger. I mean, yes, he's still the bronze tiger, but he doesn't want to be that killer that he used to be. And that's what he's trying to change and amend his ways. And that's why he's, he's with the suicide squad is to try to make amends for his past mistakes. And I have talked about this a while back when I talked about the suicide squad movie, but I think they, they really missed out by not having been on the team as one of the, the, uh, in quotes, heroes, one of the you know non-villains on the team. I think he would Ben would have made a great, it would have given another man of color, and he would have been a great character to have in there. But eh, they don't ask my opinion of these things. But anyway, so this is where I talk about in the synopsis, page sixteen at the very bottom of the page. I think it's like a half-page panel. It's very nice. Sarge still pulls out the the bronze tiger mask or headdress, whatever you all call it. And just the look on Ben's face is like, what the hell? And Sarge wants, Sarge still wants Ben to put the mask on. And again, Ben goes more into his background about how he he was, you know, everyone feared that mask, the bronze tiger. Uh, anger was still there. It was a big part of his life. He would kill people, especially wearing the mask. And then when he met up with Amanda Waller, she was able to, as we talked about earlier, break him free of the, the bronze tiger, I guess, break him free from that anger and the, the wanting to kill, the enjoying to kill. So he burned the mask, kind of like burning away his old identity and trying to become a new man. And Sarge still keeps pressing. He's like, well, there's nothing wrong with paying on the mask then. It's only a copy, right? You've mastered, mastered yourself, right? Or have you? I'm with the truth, Turner. Afraid you'll put it on and lose it. Are you that fragile? Are you afraid that you'll pet it on, discover the truth once and for all? Again, here on top of page page 20. Yeah, page 20. There's a very nice shot of a close-up of Ben's face. Again, he's got sweat pouring down. His eyes are wide. Because, again, he, he, this mask is bringing back a lot of bad memories for him. And Sarge still, I understand where he's coming from. I mean, I don't necessarily like the way he's doing it, possibly, or the motivation behind it. But this is something he needs to see if Ben is over the Bronze Tiger, I guess. Or at least the the old Bronze Tiger. But again, this is affecting Ben very much. And again, Sarge still keeps going on. He's like, the truth is, Ben Turner likes the violence. Ben Turner, not the Bronze Tiger. It's always been you, Ben. And you love it. You like hurting. That's why you didn't kill Raman. You like making him suffer. And Ben just finally breaks. And he's like, yes. And he picks up the mask. And it's a very cool scene here on page 21. Is he, he grabs the, the tiger mask. And he grabs the top and the lower parts of the mouth, the jaw. And just rips it apart. Yes! As he storms out of the room. Rushes past Vix and leaving her behind. And she's like, Ben, what happened? 
again, so we go back to the room where we have the men talk about, sat around talking and kind of recapping the last year or so. Uh, first flag in the whole Senator Cray fiasco, as they call it, and now Turner. Uh, again, these are the top men that Lawler's picked for the team. And this one guy, one of the guys, again, I forget his name, he's like, Lawler's the worst of the lot. She and the Duchess of Lashina, and she kept her around. Almost like she was begging for this apocalypse disaster to happen. And again, so that they're really big on, on downing Amanda right now, and they don't want Amanda leading the squad, but they know that as long as Amanda's around, she's going to be the Suicide Squad. She's going to be the leader. She's going to run him down. And they're saying, you know, the Suicide squ- the Squad will have to be shut down forever. And this issue ends with uh, Mari, a.k.a. Vixen, out front, and they're pouring down rain. Drought, uh, Ben! Next issue, all hell breaks loose. The squad has changed forever. Dun, dun, dun. So, and yeah, like here on the on the letters page, that is like, pretty intense issue, no? And so they're still catching up on the email. Email, he said, uh, just scrolling through, I don't see anything offhand I want to bring out. But, uh, again, we do have the coming attractions. Next month brings the final curtain to Suicide Squad, as it's been known. And this is some elaborate plans. The book's going to be changing very soon. And suffice to say, Amanda's covert role in the government will not last forever. So it tells us, so next month we'll be seeing not only the final face-off between Amanda and Sarge Still, but also between the Loa and the Suicide Squad. Not to mention repercussions, reflections, and resignations. All this for a dollar. Can't go wrong, can you? Again, this is Bob Greenberg writing all this. And again, another great issue. Like I said, I was heavily into the Suicide Squad at this point. Uh, this was, if I say 39, wraps this all up. And then issue 40 is the big uh, leap issue, I guess. Uh, it leaps like, one, if not mistaken, at least one year in the future. And it starts the Phoenix Gambit in issue 40. I remember this came with a free poster. I pulled that out of the book and had that on my wall for a while. But again, we'll get to that in two months. Uh, next month is the Suicide Squad 39. And uh, actually, I may hold off on that another month. I haven't decided yet. But I do want to talk about or maybe I'll just add on to it. But I do want to talk about the Suicide Squad uh, trailer for the new movie. I'm not going to do that this time. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that a little bit next time. Anyways... I guess that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, so, again, if you guys write in, let me know what you think. You send your emails to taskforcex at headcastnetwork.com. Uh, let me know what you think. Go over and join us on the Facebook. It's facebook.com slash groups slash headcastnetwork. Uh, I, I do have a Instagram, finally. Again, I haven't done as much as I should on there. Because, uh, again, I'm really bad at this, this social media stuff. But you look for the Headcast Network on Instagram, on Twitter. I've got, again, I haven't done much of Twitter recently. I really should. But as I said, I'm really bad at uh, social media. So let me know what you think. Until next month, I guess that's going to do it. Squadmates, dismissed.
Thank you for listening to another great episode of Task Force X. I can also be found rambling on my main headcast of Head Speaks, where I rant and rave about movies, comics, geek stuff, and whatever is bugging me. Mate, you just had crazy the Joker. <laughs> well, I tried, Boomer, but... Anyways, my home on the internet is at headspeaks.com. H-E-A-D-S-P-E-A-K-S dot C-O-M. Links to my blog, which contain follow-up information to this and every headcast, can be found there. Both Task Force X and Headspeaks are on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and at headspeaks.com under headcasts. Please feel free to email me any questions, comments, or concerns to taskforcex at headspeaks.com. And if you want to record a message, you can send it to me at taskforcex at headspeaks.com, and I'll play it on the air. I'm also on Facebook at taskforcex, and also on Google+, Plus, you can look for taskforcex under people and pages. All titles and characters discussed are owned and copyrighted by DC Comics. I claim no ownership to the Suicide Squad, Checkmate, or Task Force X. I'm just a big fan wanting to spread the Task Force X love with everyone else. Uh, DC Comics can be found on the web at dccomics.com. Be sure to visit your local comic shop and look for Suicide Squad and Checkmate Comics. And while you're there, see what else they have that may interest you. <laughs> well, make sure you join us here next time for another fun-filled headcast from your friendly neighborhood, Brotherhead. In the meantime, I'll see you in the funny pages.